Hello folks, how are you doing? And welcome to episode four of the Killer Music Podcast. I'm your host, Morton Robustos, and my co-host, Paul Schleschholz. We're here again to do a really fun episode because the last one we were going to do was pretty depressing, but that's not the reason we didn't put it out. Here's what happened. We tried three times, three times. Mm-hmm. The first time we tried to do it, there was so much activity going on in the building, and we weren't in this wonderful studio that Mr. Kellner lets us use whenever we want to, pretty much. Very nice. But uh, we figured we'd just try it in some different spaces and, with our own equipment. And it was really loud and really boomy. And the first time we tried, I think we were all just maybe a hair bit inebriated. And then we were trying to read. And that didn't work out so well because I was just stumbling over all the words and couldn't make it. And then the second time we tried to do it in that same spot, it was the night of a play. And there we're underneath a theater there. So, it, well, let's outline the fact that not just underneath the theater, we're underneath the toilets mm-hmm. of the theater. So we were starting to record during intermission. So if you've ever been to a play or a movie... Imagine trying to record underneath the bathroom where there's an intermission because everybody's been waiting at least an hour to take a piss. Mm-hmm. So It's just flush after flush after flush. After flush after flush. So we're like, okay, they found us another room. We went to this room, which is a really nice, beautiful, big room, except it's not for recording, and... It sounded like we were in a human echo chamber, and you could hear the trains. You could hear all the outside city noise, super loud. Mm-hmm. And plus, like the room was empty, so everything just bounced off of everything else. And it was just there, a, there was absolutely no editing. It is what I'm trying to say. It was a reverb nightmare. And so we are going to go back to Elliot Smith, but there's something about that that episode that maybe like the ghost of Elliot Smith was like going. Please don't. Yeah, he's like, stop talking about me. It's like, I, I, I'm done. I don't like it. It'd be great if you guys would stop talking about me. But we're still going to do it. We're still going to do it. We're going to try it again and uh, maybe uh, not. Maybe be less hero worshipy. <laughs> maybe that's what it was. Maybe it's like, fuck you guys. I don't, <laughs> I, don't, I don't give a shit. We are going to do the Elliot episode again. But this week's episode is going to be about psychedelic rock and roll music from the 60s and 70s. Oh yeah. So this is going to be this is going to be fun. It's going to be a wild little ride and we're going to be talking about some LSD. Woo! Woo! So picture your mom and dad or your grandma and grandpa in 1965. Mm-hmm. Shrugging off their childhood in the post-war, late 40s, 50s. So, the 1950s. Okay, here, here's all I can imagine about living in the 1950s is what I gleaned from watching TV shows mm-hmm. in the 1950s. <laughs> leave it to like Leave It to Beaver or uh, The Dick Van Dyke Show. Mm-hmm. It's like, honey, I'm home. Oh, dear, you haven't placed your face upon my hand ah (laughs) yikes why is little jimmy acting up oh gee whiz dad yeah Mm -hmm. and uh everybody was a commie and the world was under constant threat of nuclear war and i think there might have been some ufos ufos i call them ufos but ufos probably were into play and it was a really uh conservative time to live in America, I could imagine. And people were a a lot more reserved and, well, they pretended to be a lot more reserved. They just did all their shenanigans under under cloak. And so, these kids that were raised in this really kids, kids are uh, kids are not to be heard, are to be seen and not heard kind of a thing going on. And all of a sudden, things start changing. And we'll talk about how they started changing with the birth of our hero tonight, LSD. 
LSD or lysergic acid. Acid. <laughs> LSD or lysergic acid dethylamide is a hallucinogenic drug that was first synthesized by a Swiss scientist in the 1930s during the Cold War. The CIA conducted a clandestine experiment with LSD and other drugs for mind control, information gathering, and other purposes. Over time, the drug became a symbol of the 1960s counterculture, eventually joining other hallucinogenic or recreational drugs at rave parties. Let's talk about the Albert Hoffman Bicycle Day. Albert Hoffman, a researcher with the Swiss chemical company Sandoz, first developed lysergic acid dethylamide, or LSD, in 1938. He was working with a chemical found in ergot, a fungus that grows naturally in rye and other grains. Hoffman didn't understand the drug's hallucinogenic effects until 1943, when he accidentally ingested a small amount and perceived, quote, extraordinary shapes with intense kaleidoscopic play of colors. Three days later, on April 19, 1943, he took a larger dose of the drug. <laughs> Smart man. As Hoffman rode home from work on his bicycle, World War II restrictions made automobile travel off-limits. He experienced, he experienced the world's first inter intentional acid trip. Years later, April 19th came to be celebrated by some recreational LSD users as Bicycle Day. Bicycle, bicycle. I want to, to eat acid and ride my bicycle. Bicycle. <laughs> okay. This article comes at and its effects. LSD is one mind-altering substance in a class of drugs called hallucinogens, which cause people to have hallucinogenations. It's like things one sees, hears, or feels that appear to be real, but are in fact created by the mind. LSD users call these hallucinogenic experiences trips. And LSD is a particularly strong hallucinogen because its effects are unpredictable. There's no way to know when taking the drug whether the user will have a good trip or not, depending on how much the person takes or how the brain responds. A trip can be pleasurable and enlightening, or during a bad trip, a user may have a terrifying thought or feel out of control. Long after they've taken the drug, some users experience flashbacks when parts of the trip return without using the drug again. Researchers think that LSD flashbacks may happen during times of increased stress. Hmm. You should read that again. That was fucking terrible, <laughs> wasn't it? Yeah, there was a lot of stumbling through there. Effects. LSD is one mind one mind altering substance in a class of drugs called hallucinogenics, which cause people to have hallucinations, things that someone sees, hears, feels that appear to be real, but are in fact created by the mind. LSD users call these hallucinogenic experiences trips, and LSD is a particularly strong hallucinogen. Because its effects are unpredictable, there's no way to know when you're taking the drug whether a user will have a good trip or a bad trip. Depending on how much a person takes or how the brain responds, a trip can be pleasurable and enlightening, or during a bad trip, a user may have terrifying thoughts and feel out of control. Long after they've taken the drug, users experience flashbacks when parts of the trip return without using the drug again. Researchers think that LSD flashbacks may happen during times of increased stress. Hmm. Tell us about the CIA. I was going to talk about my LSD flashbacks, but okay. So I want to hear about your LSD no, flashbacks. I've never really had any. Like, <laughs> okay. like any strong, I do, I do like, I, I have had like seen uh, like crazy trails and stuff at some points when I'm sober. 
I kind of feel like my um, like life after my twenties has been like one hallucinogenic Flashback. because because when we were what was the LSD thing like a huge thing when you were young? Mm-hmm. Okay, because that shit was that was, shit was literally everywhere. Yeah, it was everywhere. yeah. <laughs> and plus, like speaking about the raves and stuff, that was when all the raves started in in the like early nineties. So yeah, that shit was everywhere. No, and you wouldn't get paranoid about going out in the street, like like at night, just being on it because, like today, you might like, oh, somebody's gonna notice. Well, you didn't give a fuck because everybody was tripping. Yep, it was just because it was so prevalent. Yeah, in when, the in the early to late nineties. Yeah, when I was a kid, there was a McDonald's, and and next to the McDonald's, there was this like little hill, probably about the height of a McDonald's, just mm-hmm. this little hill. And we we laid there and tripped out, staring at the fucking clouds for, for hours one time, just laying on the hill in in front of a McDonald's, just going woo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would just walk around the streets of Little Carbondale, Illinois, and just walk by myself, not a fear in mind, just climbing on top of buildings and <laughs> walking around and just paying no attention to traffic signs except for how cool they looked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was just what what we're saying is like during this time, this might be before your time or if you're a listener, you remember this stuff. That stuff was crazy everywhere. It was. Everywhere. And it was so cheap. Yeah. So, yeah, everybody was tripping their fucking balls off. I imagine it was a little different than the stuff from the 60s, though, because by the time I was taking it, there were so many other chemicals and stuff people would cut it with. and It was strychnine. Yeah, but you'd get like you'd get like meth cut in there and some 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 acid I took like it just I just felt like I was tweaking. And then yeah, some I'd take absolutely. or I'd I'd be just it's all visual. That's true. That's so, true. Yeah. So maybe you were just we were just inadvertently taking speed and thought drug. we were eating <laughs> LSD but then we became meth heads and didn't realize I was <laughs> yeah. like I'm doing this stuff every day. <laughs> and I you think you're tripping. Holy shit, I never thought about that. That's yeah. terrible. Yeah. Anyway, the CIA. Let's talk about the dirty CIA. Have you ever heard of Project MK Ultra? I have, but our listeners may haven't. The code name given to a central intelligence agency program that began in the 1950s and lasted through the 1960s, sometimes known as part of the CIA's mind control program. Those Those fucking dogs. Throughout the years of Project MKUltra, the CIA experimented with LSD and other substances on both volunteers and unwitting subjects. They believed that LSD could be used as a psychological weapon in the Cold War. Hypnosis, shock therapy, interrogation, and other dubious mind control techniques were also part of the MK Ultra. These government acid experiments, which also involved dozens of universities, pharmaceutical companies, and medical facilities, took place throughout the 1950s and 1960s, before LSD was deemed too unpredictable to use in the field. When Project MK Ultra became public knowledge in the 1970s, the scandal resulted in numerous lawsuits and congressional investigation headed by Senator Frank Church. Do you remember the movie Men Who Stare at Goats? Uh, I think I, I remember seeing it. I think I might have been drunk and didn't really pay attention to it. It was pretty cool because basically that's what it was. <laughs> so so, so lay, lay that out a little bit. There's a... Uh, um, I, I believe it's like just some some um, they were just like army soldiers that um, inadvertently and probably unwillingly and unknowingly got drugged. I would try to um, manipulate the minds of goats so that goats can be sent in and used as as um, spies and CIA operatives. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty good, George Clooney. <laughs> well, there's lots of. In, in movies, especially, but I think there's links to the CIA messing with people's minds. There's conspiracies, mm-hmm. like that uh, the killing of Robert F. Kennedy was a CIA mind control thing, which spawned the book The Manchurian Candidate, mm-hmm. and also awesome movie. I'm not speaking for the Denzel Washington one, because I haven't seen that one, but the Frank Sinatra one is one of the best movies ever, where this guy had been mentally programmed and hypnotized mm-hmm. to 
like look at this deck of cards and it's like whenever the queen gets pulled da, 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 you pull the gun right and you kill this candidate yeah i'm pretty sure that shit probably could work i mean you know sure I mean? especially if you're uh you have a subject there's different kinds of people are more sus- more susceptible to that yeah. sort of thing mm-hmm. and that could t- totally and if the lsd was a little more predictable as they say well when people started having fun with it they made it illegal yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, wait, 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 mm-hmm. wait, 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 and turn your fucking hairstyle down a little bit, pal. <laughs> this isn't funny anymore. Yeah. You pinko commie bastard. <laughs> you hippie. Go- yes. Goop. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna gloss over a little bit of Ken Kessie who was an integral part of the uh, swing in 60s. This is this takes place in more or less the late 60s, I would say, like or mid to late 60s. And this is just leading up to the good stuff. And we'll get into the music. Ken Kessie and the electric, the electric Kool-Aid Acid Test. After volunteering to take part in MK Ultra as a student at Stanford University, Ken Kessie author of the 1962 novel One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, went on to promote the use of LSD. In the early 60s, Kessie and the Merry Pranksters, as his group of followers were called, hosted a series of LSD-fueled parties in the San Francisco Bay Area. Kessie called these parties acid tests. Acid tests combine drug use with musical performances by bands, including the Grateful Dead, and psychedelic effects such as fluorescent paint and black lights. Author Tom Wolfe based his 1968 nonfiction book, The Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test, on the experiences of Ken Kesey and the Merry Pranksters. The book chronicles the acid test parties and the growing 1960s hippie counterculture movement. Tim Leary. Timothy Leary and Richard Alpert, both psychological professors at Harvard University. Timothy Leary and Richard Alpert administered LSD and psychedelic mushrooms to Harvard students during a series of experiments in the 1960s. At the time, neither of these substances were illegal in the United States. The U.S. federal government didn't outlaw LSD until 1968. Leary and Alpert documented the effects of the hallucinogenic drugs on the student's consciousness. The scientific community, however, criticized the, legitimacy, the legitimacy of the students, which Leary and Alpert conducted also while tripping. Both men were eventually dismissed from Harvard, but went on to become symbols of the psychedelic drug and hippie counterculture. Leary found a psychedelic religion based on LSD called the League for Spiritual Discovery, also LSD, and coined the phrase, tune in, turn on, and drop out. Woohoo! Alpert wrote a popular spiritual book called Be Here Now under the pseudonym Baba Ram Das. Ah, let's yeah. give a good RIP to Ram Das who recently died. Mm-hmm. Like days ago. Really? Yeah, oh, like last week. Maybe mm-hmm. two weeks ago. Now we go to Carlos Castaneda and other hallucinogens. Hallucinogens can be found in the extracts of some plants or mushrooms, or they can be man-made like LSD, the ergot fungus, from which Hoffman synthesized LSD in 1938, has associated with the hallucinogenic effects since ancient times. Peyote, a cactus native to parts of Mexico and Texas, contains a psychoactive chemical called mescaline. Native Americans in Mexico have used peyote and mescaline in regions ceremonies for thousands of years. There are more than 100 species of mushrooms around the world that contain psilocybin and a hallucinogenic compound. Archaeologists believe that humans have used these magic mushrooms since... Hallucinogens can be found in the extracts of some plants or mushrooms, or they can be man-made like LSD. The ergo fungus, from which Hoffman has synthesized LSD in 1938, has been associated with hallucinogenic effects since ancient times. Peyote, a cactus native to parts of Mexico and Texas, contains a psychoactive chemical called mescaline. Native Americans in Mexico have used peyote and mescaline in religious ceremonies for thousands of years. More than 100 species of mushrooms around the world 
contains psilocybin, a hallucinogenic compound. Archaeologists believe humans have used these magic mushrooms since prehistoric times. Carlos Castaneda, a reclusive author, <laughs> best-selling books. Sorry, you gave me a weird glare. I wasn't oh. glaring. <laughs> I'm not glaring at Paul. Oh, okay. Please continue. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm just trying to be scientific sounding. <clears throat> you did. You sound super scientific. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Carlos Castaneda, a reclusive author whose best-selling book series include the teachings of Don Juan, published in 1968. In his writings, Castaneda explored the use of mescaline, psilocybin, and other hallucinogenics in spirituality and human culture. Born in Peru, Castaneda spent much of his adult life in California and helped to define the psychological landscape in the 1960s. A number of man-made hallucinogens such as MDMA, ecstasy or molly, and ketamine are sometimes associated with dance parties and rave culture. PCP, also known as angel dust, was used in the 1950s as an, as an anesthetic before it was often before it was taken off the market in 1965 for its hallucinogenic side effects, only become a popular recreational drug in the 1970s. I was going to mention, though, that Timothy Leary, since they started talking about mushrooms and stuff, yeah, he had that, that um, the stoned ape theory, that, that the whole reason why humans evolved from apes is because they started eating mushrooms. Holy shit, I've never heard of that. You never heard of that? <laughs> never that's heard of that. Excellent. That's insane. Yeah. yeah, that's like they started expanding their minds and started using tools and that's how they that's how they that's how we became us, if you believe in that evolution. So 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 what he's implicating is that they before would probably be just set upon like a few things that were rudimentary and yeah, and then, <clears throat> and then they found, and then some monkey was just like, <laughs> look what I can do. Oh. <laughs> wow. Check this out. It's a saw. <laughs> yep. That's that's the stoned ape theory. Wow. That's super interesting. Mm-hmm. So what was your introduction into psychedelic music, Paul? Well, <clears throat> I think my... The very first music I ever heard was probably psychedelic music. My dad was was into you know rock music back then, uh, but especially into Pink Floyd, and he had this really nice stereo that was, I, as I remember, it was like the size of like a china cabinet. It was just this giant <laughs> totally, stereo, totally. <laughs> and it was amazing. It had all these knobs and dials and things all over the looks, place it looked like a fucking spaceship <clears throat> it looked like a spaceship and he had these gigantic he- headphones and i remember just this is like the earliest memory i have i, I don't even know how old i was i had to been <clears throat> like like five or something and he just goes listen to this and he puts these gigantic headphones on my head and it's like and it's like dark side of the moon or something and i was just like <laughs> and ever since then I I've loved I've loved that shit. <laughs> yeah, I remember the same the same thing with uh my stepdad or at the time. He had like the massive fucking Starship Starship Enterprise <laughs> uh setup going on with the massive speakers and it sounded great, you know. Mm-hmm. And being a kid of my generation since I'm an old fuck but I was like, I I like to listen to Kiss because they're on the TV, and it was like, da, da, da. and my parents going telling me just like, God, they're just wearing costumes. They're really the worst musicians ever. <laughs> they they really suck. They're really awful, and everybody else is better than them. They're the worst. Yeesh. And it's like, oh, what do you? It's like, but they don't look like cartoons. Everybody you listen to doesn't look like cartoons. <laughs> like, but. It's like here, listen to this, and they crank on like animals in mm-hmm. this thing, and I'm like supposed to understand what the fuck is going on whenever I'm like seven. Yeah, I was like, doom, doom, doom. and I'm like, oh, yeah, it's like, and I didn't even know what the fuck Kiss was talking about, you know, because all they're talking about is getting laid. Yeah, uh, the Pink Floyd obviously weren't talking about that. No, nope. so often, nope. or ever. They have that one, <laughs> like one of the one of their like more psychedelic songs. I, he had he had the vinyl. I still have the vinyl of it. Um, I forget which album it is, but it's like it's like small furry animals grooving together in a cave with a pick. 
off Umaguma. Oh yeah, it's Umaguma. You're right. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like just this weird yeah. collection of sounds. <laughs> yeah, it was just like the craziest thing I've ever heard. And I remember being on acid <laughs> and listening to that song over and over again because it didn't bother me that it was just a bunch of fucking noise. <laughs> yeah, I just thought it was the coolest thing because I was a little kid. I didn't know. I just thought, man, these guys are out there. <laughs> yeah, totally. Exp- I thought the exact same thing. Yeah. Um, and I used to listen to them, like as a as a young kid, like before I went to bed, um, I just put on headphones or, or like to fall asleep. I would listen to Pink Floyd. <laughs> it's just yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I didn't get into them until I I was in my early twenties. But when I got into them. I was. I had a friend that used to. You're a Floyd nerd. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I I like that because well, I'm I'm always on LSD. <laughs> I'm always on LSD forever. Yeah. <laughs> it was like it's free here, yo. Yeah. I remember like going to this party and a friend of mine was like, like I was getting ready to play a show, and a friend of mine's like, here have have a hit of LSD. I was like, nah. It was like just a quarter hit. I'm like, okay. <laughs> well, anyway, the person took the LSD and folded it over mm-hmm. like five hits, but folded it to make it look like it was a quarter hit. Nice. That's a good friend. <laughs> <laughs> they put it in my mouth, and I'm getting ready to play the show. And there was like, we played after this big blues band. There was like tons of people. It was kind of a festivalish mm-hmm. setting. Right. So it's like, oh, yeah, this is going to be a big show for us. Yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Everybody else. And the band was also like completely cantankerous on LSD. Nice. And by the time we got up there, the guitar player couldn't figure out how to plug in his guitar. I had, he was just like, Ugh. and everybody seemed like they were moving in slow motion mm-hmm. and everybody's faces were melting in the audience. And I was like, oh, what the fuck is even going on? And I got so scared. I was super scared. And I like turned to the drummer because everything was going absolutely wrong. And turned to the drummer, and he's like, let me walk you through this. I got you. I got you. I'm like, oh, cool, man. Damn. Yeah. And he's calming every, everybody down. So I just, he's like, just hit the fucking bass string. I'm like, okay. <laughs> dum, dum, dum. I was like, oh, yeah. And then finally, like, this everybody's like convincing every member of the band to like move and stop being <laughs> like a shit stain on the sidewalk. We're so high. Yikes. And I, and, but thankfully the audience were equally as dosed. So nice. they didn't give it, they didn't give a fuck. It was like, yeah, it was pretty much a, uh, it was a psychedelic nightmare. Yikes. But by the time we got through the show, we we finally figured out some sort of noise that had everybody going at mm-hmm. the same time and it was pretty fun. Did you ever have any bad trips besides that someone that one kind of sounds like a bad one, but <laughs> I did have a really like bad trip ones. one time, a very scary one. Tell us. I will tell you, I'll tell you about it. Um I had a friend who was he he was uh had a severe mental illness a very suicidal person and probably suffering from an extreme case it's not the, of a uh, bipolar disorder it's not the serial killer guy is it? no 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 <laughs> now this is way before the serial killer oh, guy this is when i was a happy youth okay and uh he was we were eating at this restaurant and that we always hung out and ate at yada yada and uh i would say yada yada i'm sorry no worries uh and anyway we're hanging out and I'm pretty drunk at the time. And he's like, hey, Mortimer, you want to, have you ever tried Haldol? I'm like, no. And I had no idea what Haldol was mm-hmm. or, or, or what it does. And he had this pill, and I remember him taking it out of his palm and putting it directly into my palm. And I'm just like, fuck it. Mm-hmm. And, and I ate the motherfucker. And... Then I forgot all about it because I'm drunk and wandering and I went to my buddy's house and they're hanging out and we're, they're listening to to music and we're just chilling out and he busts out like a bunch of LSD. So we eat the LSD <laughs> and like a lot of LSD and we're hanging out and all of a sudden everything's great and then everything just went 
it like the world turned into a very strange color hmm. and it was like everything was gray all of a sudden just and I was like oh fuck and I couldn't stop <laughs> gritting my teeth and I'm gritting my teeth and my jaw is just locked yikes my jaw is absolutely locked I can't open my mouth because I'm gritting my oh. teeth so hard it could have been like a combination of the Haldol it probably was and the strychnine in the shitty 90s LSD. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was pretty a combo of all that and the alcohol and all that. Yeah, so so I'm just like, fuck. So I, I was able to get myself out of there and find a friend that had many bongs of really good weed. Mm-hmm. And, and that brought you down? The many, many, I mean, and I'm not a pot smoker. I've never really been a pot smoker. But right then I was looking for answers of right. how to get... <laughs> out of this horrible hellish situation of not being able to move my mouth. Yeah. And uh after like 20 or so big huge bong hits and listening to Bob Dylan Desire, I finally was able <laughs> That's a weird choice <laughs> to come back down and just like woo back to normal again and yeah, that was a that was a terrible trip, but then like it was a nice weed trip because if you smoke that much weed in bong form, mm-hmm. turns out that that's just as powerful as LSD. It <laughs> depends on what your makeup is, but that was a lot of weed. Right, yeah. Wow. But it even turned off this horrible, synthetic, shitty... That's cool. That's psychotropic drug that this dude gave me. Yeah. And it's not his fault. He, he's, he's, he was a crazy person. Right. And... A, a sweet fellow, but well, he shouldn't have, he a... shouldn't have given me Haldol. He knew it was a huge, crazy, psychotropic drug, so he was probably just fucking with me. Yeah. Well, you're also a little bit of a crazy person to just randomly take a, something you don't know what it is. Who oh, could whatever. give a shit? Who could give a shit? <laughs> no, I mean... I had no time for that. <laughs> yeah. I've done that uh, <laughs> way too many times, I'd like to admit. <laughs> but, yeah, it's not it's not the wise thing. No, no. What what was your craziest time, our worst time? I didn't, like I was trying to think. I've always had fucking great times. I've always had great times, but there was one time. Um, so well, like a little backstory. My my, I used to live with my mom and my sister. My mom used to have to have to go to work in L.A. This, we were living in San Diego. Okay. And so she'd stay there for the week. She'd go to work on Monday and then come back like Friday night or Saturday morning. So basically, we were probably 12 or 13, me and my sister. We were basically, um, you know, taking care of ourselves. Sure. And so... Those were the times. Those were the times. We'd have a lot of parties. (laughs) (laughs) My sister was a popular girl. I was kind of a nerdy but semi-popular kid. And so we'd have, like, pretty big parties at our place. <laughs> You're still a semi-popular kid. Yeah, I, I hate people now. Um, anyway, so... Um, Shouldn't have eaten so much LSD. I had a, I had a <laughs> bunch of friends over, and um, actually I was hanging out with some of my... One of my... I was in a band, a little punk band back then, mm-hmm. and I was hanging out with all, the, all my bandmates, and we dropped a bunch of acid. And... Um, ended up calling a bunch of people over to have a little get together at my pad, and my girlfriend at the time came over, and we ended up um, laying on the couch and started making out when like the acid started to peak, and I remember I was making out with her on the couch, and then like I opened my eyes and looked at her, and then just she just grew a mustache. Oh shit! And like she didn't know, she didn't know that we were tripping balls. She didn't know she was growing a mustache. And she didn't know she was growing a mustache either. <laughs> and I didn't want to tell her that we like just ate a buttload of acid. <laughs> so uh, I flipped out. I was I jumped up off and I was like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> like like I flipped out. I remember I ran outside, and I just like flipped out. And, was, and my friends were like, like no fucks given. And then, so we just got into this like weird argument. I was trying to like play it off, like, oh, I don't know. I think there was a spider or something crawling on your face or something. I don't know. But I was like, also, you'd rather go the spider on your face route <laughs> yeah. than go, you, you baby. You I were, eventually told her later, your mustache but... was growing in front of, in front of my eyes. <laughs> it was a trip because, yeah, it was just, it was like, I mean, I was, I was, you know, her face was like inches from my face. 
I mean, like, I literally saw, like, hairs growing out of her <laughs> lip. And I'm like, what the fuck? It just flipped me out. So that was, that's probably, like, it's more funny than, like, than anything, but. This is pretty funny. I remember at the time, my heart was just beating out of my chest. I was flipping out. I was, like, panicking. I was like, what the fuck? But most of the time, I just have a great time. <laughs> most of the time, I had a great time. Most yep. of the time, I had a great time. Even though there was this one time when I was with uh, this guitar player. He's a great friend of mine. Rest in peace, my friend. Joe Fee. We're hanging out at his house. And uh, he's cooking food. It's like, awesome. He's making soup. And we're on LSD, as everybody was, like, all the fucking time when we were in youth. Mm-hmm. And he had this massive cauldron on the stove. And it was going, and he had the broth going, and lots of veggies and chicken and everything. And then he put like beets in it, so it started turning it a little red. Mm-hmm. It started turning it a little red. <laughs> and so, being high, watching boiling water is pretty cool when you're on LSD. Yeah. Well, fuck. we'll throw some vegetables into that fucking mix. Oh, man. <laughs> So you're watching these vegetables teeming mm-hmm. up and down and wow. boiling around this thing, mm-hmm. and he's like, he's like Mortimer, what do you think? What do you think? Of, what do you think of the soup? Taste it. I'm like tasting it. It's like, I was like, it tastes pretty good. I was like, what would you call the soup? I'm like, teeming lobsters in a bowl of blood bisque. <laughs> that sounds and, good. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, it was just interesting. Yeah. Like, that's a trick. Everything's pretty interesting when you're on LSD. Yeah, everything and, is. Yeah, super high. Yeah. And probably halfway methed out because you don't realize that like half of it's cut with speed. Yep. So. so I had this friend in high school and when I was living in L.A. who's, he was, they were they were all tweakers. His his parents were tweakers. He he passed away, rest in peace. Rest in peace. Um, But uh, his parents used to give him speed. And give us speed too. That's nice. But also LSD <laughs> and mushrooms and whatever the fuck else they could find. Who the fuck was watching you, son? Me? What the fuck? I was watching me. You were watching me? <laughs> oh shit, you latchkey kid. <laughs> so I'd go over there all the damn time, right? He was like my best friend. <laughs> and I would, would just go have... <laughs> there all the time myself. He would just have um, just crazy damn parties all the time. And, um, the, his his dad used to make these crazy sculptures and shit, like all high as fuck. And one time I, I, I was teaching him get to play guitar. Okay. And uh, we got fucked up and and uh, ended up trashing my guitar. Like just break, threw darts at it and we were like just fucked up. Like Was it plugged into an amplifier at the time? No, we were just fucked up and just smashed it. And then we were like, oh, I'm like, oh, fuck, why did I do that? <laughs> Well, might as well fucking fuck it up more. And then we ended up throwing darts at it and fucking it all up. And um, his dad ended up making a sculpture out of it, like this giant, like, broken guitar sculpture. It was pretty cool. And he had him in his backyard, and he had this giant pool Look in at what my kids did when they were on LSD. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to make a sculpture yeah, of this. while I'm on LSD. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> it was so cool, dude. Like, and, and he had this giant pool in the backyard, and we used to always, like, like climb up on the roof and then jump off the roof into the pool and just do really bad stuff you're not supposed to do while you're tripping on a bunch of different drugs. <laughs> Holy um, shit. Yeah, that's uh but um he ended up getting like way like I I I knew I was like I knew my limit. I knew I was I was getting too into it, you know, like I had to take a break, I had to step aside for a while. And you know, since his parents were doing it, he never got a chance to step aside and eventually killed him. Whoa. Yeah. That's heavy, man. He used to, I, I remember coming, like, we, we sort of... How do you get killed on LSD? I mean... Not, I, I, it was actually it wasn't LSD. He got he got really hooked on meth. Ah. Uh, but, I mean, he was also doing LSD and everything else while on meth. Um, But I remember seeing him because I had, I had like, taken, like, I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll hang out with you. And I, I would always, like, flake on him <laughs> because I knew if I hung out with him, I would end up fucked up and couldn't function the next day. 
or like my next day or next two days would be gone because I'd be laying on his bed fucking playing video games or something. So um, I remember seeing him later, like maybe a year later, and he was like deep into this and he was like like tripping out like super paranoid. He thought like uh, there was like SWAT teams outside his house and shit and like it was just Uh-oh. all bad. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh-oh. So, um, for some people, it's not always good. No. I guess that's the moral of my story. <laughs> I don't know. I remember taking it this one time. This is this is my last LSD story. But my guitar player and I were in the same band together, and we shared this room. And there were, like, we had these elevated beds on either side of the room, and then we had all of our gear in the middle of the room. Anyway, it was like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And we ate a bunch of LSD and waited around for like hours and nothing happened. I'm like, fuck it, I'm going to bed. But my bed was like two feet away from the ceiling pretty much. And so was his. So it gives you all that floor space down there. Mm-hmm. And we're laying down. And all of a sudden, I hear this bam. And I see this big flash of light just like all of a sudden like the LSD kicked in immediately Whoa. and I shot up so fast that I smacked my head on the ceiling really hard so I was like seeing stars from that on top of being on LSD and I'm like Joe what the fuck what the fuck and he and he's like are you watching cartoons I'm like yeah Joe watching cartoons and 15 minutes later some dude, one of his friends, shows up wearing this big-ass fucking Arizona hat. If you guys don't know what an Arizona hat is, an Arizona hat is like this straw hat that has a huge brim on it to protect your shoulders and shit from the sun. Uh-huh. Well, he was wearing one of those, and this was in Illinois. He was wearing one of those. <laughs> and that's all he was fucking wearing. He was naked, and he was covered in his own poo. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm like, Joe, your friend's here. Joe, your friend's here. <laughs> He's like, tell him to go away. He's like right next to me on this other bed next, next to it. I'm like, I'm like, Joe, go talk to your friend. And I'm tripping my balls off. Mm-hmm. And finally, yeah, I don't want to go into it. We should talk. We should talk about some music, maybe. <laughs> Do you mind? Well, I think we digressed just a little bit there. Uh, do you mind telling us a little bit about the 13th floor elevators? Yeah, I'll talk I'll talk to you about the most interesting character from the 13th floor elevators named Rocky Erickson. He was um, born in Dallas, interested in music from his youth, attended the Austin uh, school in Austin and dropped out in 1965 and then formed the band the 13th floor elevators at age 18. Uh, his bandmate Tommy Hall were the main singers were the main songwriters and early Early in her career, singer Janice Joplin considered joining the Elevators, but family dogs Chet Helms persuaded her to go to San Francisco instead, where she found major fame. And also, what's his name? Uh, she also found Ken Kesey. <laughs> ah, there we go. It's all it's all tying together. Yeah. Um, but um, the most interesting thing I think that relates to our podcast and Rocky. That's Erickson, important. Um, <laughs> In 1968, while performing at Hemisphere, Erickson began speaking gibberish. He was soon diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia and sent to a Houston psychiatric hospital where he involuntarily... My hometown. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Cool. Uh, He was involuntarily received electroconvulsive therapy. My home therapy. Oh, really? (laughs) No. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) The elevators were vocal proponents of marijuana and psychedelic drug use and were subject to extra attention from law enforcement agencies. In 1969, Erickson was arrested for possession of a single marijuana joint in Austin. Facing a potential 10-year incarceration, Erickson pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity to avoid prison. 10 years for one joint. That's bullshit. And what are they doing out in California right now? They're smoking it up, Smoking it up. Um, yikes. He was the first sent to the Austin State Hospital. That's bullshit. I mean, he was first sent to Austin State Hospital. After several escapes, he was then sent to the Rusk State Hospital in Rusk, Texas, where he was subjected to more 
electroconvulsive therapy and Thorazine treatment. Something, hold on, just something's telling me that 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 wasn't the best thing in the world. Yeah. Yeah, electro, they, they were super electroshock therapy happy in that yeah. age of time. I think it was probably um, sadism. Yeah, just like okay, send the little freak in here and let's uh, let's, let's go to, let's go to work. Brain. Let's burn his brain. Look at his face. <laughs> Jeez, man. <laughs> that actually, you remember that movie? Um, that movie. Uh, one flew over the yeah, cuckoo's nest. Cuckoo's yeah, nest. and th- then he got the lobotomy, and yeah. then the fucking dude had the. That's basically just... what it is: is the lobotomy. They're, they're <laughs> shocking their fucking brain. Oh, oh man. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> Glad things are so much better now. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, during his time at Rusk, he continued writing songs and poetry. Family and friends managed to smuggle out some of these poems, and in 1972, self-published the book Openers, intending to use the proceeds to hire a lawyer. Six tracks from the 1999 Erickson collection, Never Say Goodbye, were also recording during this time. In the 1980s, Erickson developed a years-long obsession with the mail, often spending hours poring over random junk mail, writing to solicitors and celebrities, dead or living. He was arrested in 1989 on charges of mail theft. (laughs) What was he doing? He was just writing to people. He was was (laughs) fascinated with mail. <clears throat> That's part of that electroshock therapy stuff. That's fucking cool. Um, he picked up mail from neighbors who'd moved and taped it to the walls of his room. He insisted that he never opened any of the mail, and charges were ultimately dropped. <clears throat> so he he kind of lost his lost his noggin there. Um, eventually he or returned. Or did he? Yeah, he was a little <laughs> a little wacky. He was a little wacky. <clears throat> Several of his older material has been released since then. In 1990, Sire Records, Warner Brothers released the tribute album where the pyramid meets the eye, produced by Warner Brothers executive Bill Bentley. It featured um, versions of Erickson's songs performed by the Jesus and Mary Chain, R.E.M., ZZ Top, Play Dog Pondering, Julian Cope, The Butthole Surfers, Bong Water, John Weasley Harding, Doug Shom, and Primal Scream, among others. Um, according to the linear notes, the title of the album came from the remark Erickson made to a friend who asked him to define psychedelic music, to which Erickson reportedly replied, it's where the pyramid meets the eye, man, an apparent reference to the eye of Providence and the great seal of the United States. Illuminat confirmed. Mm-hmm. So he was a little, uh, he was a little whacked out from all that. And it's, it's... How could you not be? I mean, it, I... It all this article doesn't really go. Well, it's not much. going. It's not going into his family life or something that might have triggered him to. It's like, not going into his heavy fucking LSD use. <laughs> yeah, <that laughs> <laughs> might have contributed a little yeah, bit. A little bit. A little bit to it. Because that can that can make a sane man crazy, especially when you're a teenager. You know, you're you're sort of like inventing this new genre of music in a way. Just playing psychedelic it, music, you didn't tripping out. Invent the. He didn't invent art. it, but no, didn't invent it. Popularized. But didn't popularized. mention. I meant to say mention the electric jug, um, which is what I think ruined to me a lot of the songs of the Thirteenth Floor Elevators, is because occasionally it's nice, but then when you get into the third or fourth song, that just goes. Uh-huh. That's like, dude. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's that's enough of that. But when you're on LSD, that sounds like a fucking. That could be the soundtrack to those little swirly things that are flying around <laughs> in your face. <laughs> you're just like, like whoa, those actually make a sound. <laughs> you know absolutely, I mean? absolutely. <laughs> but 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 it, listening as a layman or a lame man. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, it's yeah. a little old. <laughs> Very much so. Because <laughs> I've tried to listen to like a full albums of them. It's like there's a few songs that jump out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you ever listen to his, I, I don't know if it was 1980, but he had the solo album that came out. And he had the song called Night of the Vampire. I might have heard it, but I can't recall. I it's so it. if good. I it, I Our uh, Two-Headed Dog. Yeah, that it, one I know. So good. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. And that's like him... Ca- 
coming out of the electroshock therapy, yeah. which is super impressive. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of a lot of bands that have the, those kind of stories. Um, I mean, the the popular people who are not only taking LSD but also got into heroin and all that other stuff, like Janis Joplin and and uh, Jimi Hendrix and all the all the classic casualties from the Twenty Seven Club. You know yeah, I mean? those guys were like not just LSD; they were pretty much hitting everything. Yeah, yeah, but they were making psychedelic music ish. Yeah, but I just—it's hard to say. Like, like nobody's well, happy because, because, like I'll say in every goddamn podcast, we're all like on a fucking rocket ship to oblivion. Yeah. So what you do on that rocket ship to oblivion is pretty much up to you. Yeah. And it's like you can smile all the way or you can accomplish all this on the way or you can do nothing yep. and just uh, just fuck off. Just jerk off and whatever <laughs> because the the result, the end is probably the same. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Does that sound nihilistic? A little. Sorry. But, I mean, it's true. <laughs> it's sort of true. I mean... The people like that, like like uh, Jimi Hendrix and shit, made amazing music. He could, he just got super creative with it and be, made a star of himself. You know what I mean? Yes. So, <laughs> I don't know. Absolutely. And he's know. he's also going to be another. He's going to be another completely separate episode oh, of man. the Killer Music Podcast for sure. Yeah. And what about like Jim Morrison? <laughs> Does that count? Yeah, he counts. He counts because he was part of it. I'm not a huge fan. Oh, I am. I'm from L.A. Um, I was a huge fan when I was a teenager. Mm -hmm. But then I was like, wait a minute. His poetry kind of sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it because I was into, when I first got into him, I was getting into all those beat poets and stuff from the 30s. So I kind of like, he, he uses a lot of that style of beat poetry, I think, just set to. Let me tell you about stuff. Anyway, we digress. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Again, um, but we're gonna go back into the psychedelic '60s, and nothing is more mainstreamly known than the year 1960. Well, we'll start with 1966, okay. or is it 1965 that the Beatles? released revolver oh man yeah, yeah it's either yeah. 65 i think it's 66 yeah the beatles released revolver here's the gist i'm not doing any more reads because i'm terrible at reading they released this album called revolver they'd been getting high since like the early early 60s they've been smoking and smoking not smoking weed but drinking and well, taking amphetamines riding a bicycle forever mm -hmm. so they've been getting fucked up since they were kids but now they've discovered the evil devil's lettuce marijuana marijuana anyway they started smoking <laughs> lots of marijuana mm -hmm. and that was and that's the reason they wrote that album it was just because they smoked weed and it had nothing to do with artistic creation it was only weed and it had nothing to do with anything else. That's bullshit. Yeah. That, but it let it, it let them relax a little bit. I, I mean, know. I think they were probably still dropping acid and stuff too. No, they hadn't dropped acid at that point. According to according to historians the, or people that tell you the truth, then maybe they were drinking. They were to their to their financial advisors. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and none of you are married. Don't let any of them know that you're married. <laughs> We're trying to sell albums here, kids. Exactly. Anyway, they, they released a really brilliant album, and if you haven't listened to... Um, I'm pretty sure it's Rubber Soul. Rubber Soul is what I was talking about. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, okay. Rubber okay. Soul is the marijuana album, and definitely Revolver is the LSD, the first LSD album. Rubber Soul is the one with the, the cover. They have all those doll heads. That was banned. And so they had to right. make another cover because yeah. they had dismembered and pieces of meat hanging off yeah. of their their they were clothes. Tripping out, man. Tripping they were tripping out. out. It would and be a good idea for 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 a um an album cover. It would be. Why not we put a little piece of meat over here and <laughs> a little piece this of doll. meat over here? Why not? Chop his head off. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, 
the revolver or shit. I'm sorry. Your shoe has a rubber sole. Anyway, the rubber sole album was was kind of their deviance from like that poppy stuff that they were writing and uh into going into a little bit more of a, a little more twisted territory. Mm-hmm. Slightly. Uh, but Revolver, my goodness. That album has songs like yeah, so these albums with the help of George Martin who was a master and uh, of a producer who brought in the symphonic sounds to the Beatles, which created great songs like um, Eleanor Rigby and Jesus Christ, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, all those songs. He was huge in that. And this is during, like, before, I'm I'm going too far ahead, but Sergeant, before Sgt. Pepper's um, Revolver and... We can do a whole, a whole other thing on the Beatles. There's so much on Anyway, not to be a stopper, but that's definitely that's going to be a whole nother episode. We're not going to go too far into the <laughs> Beatles. Paul just brought it up. It's like we're it, it's a at least one or two episodes. Yeah. To talk about what kind of an effect the Beatles have had on music today, as it goes today, it's the reason that pop music sounds like it does at this very moment. Mm-hmm. It never stopped. They reinvented it. Yeah. They completely did. They turned it around and reinvented it. If you say different, that's fine. That's your opinion. But I'm just saying people are still using their formulas to this very freaking day. People are still sampling them to yep. this from to this very day. They changed the world. They changed <laughs> the world. It was just a weird thing that they did. They Their melodies, their harmonies, and everything, it changed the world. But anyway, getting back to the crazy psychedelic times um, <laughs> 1967 introduced the first time a person wore a raincoat did you know that Paul I didn't no before that everybody was absolutely getting soaked <laughs> and there they didn't no know umbrellas. why they didn't know why until this one guy was walking past an umbrella factory mm. and they didn't know why there was an umbrella factory but there was one and there was an umbrella floating in the sky and it fell down but then he noticed that the rain was avoiding the umbrella because the people from the umbrella factory were just using it for fashion because it it used to be a parasol factory right to, and, to shade yourself to shade yourself and then they realized it would also work on rain mm. so excuse me it was a parasol factory genius genius as it was floating from the sky crowds of people from a thin st- city street Started following the parasol, but then they ran into traffic. Two people died, and Joe and Michael, God bless you, but you invented the plastic Mac. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Okay, nothing would make this podcast complete if we're talking about psychedelic music if we don't delve a little deeper into the origins of the mystical and beautiful Pink Floyd. And please give us a little reading on that, man. Pink Floyd. I love Pink Floyd. During uh, its early years, Pink Floyd was a very interesting psychedelic space music project led by frontman Sid Barrett. They made many great albums such as Piper at the Gates of Dawn and A Saucer Full of Secrets. But as time moves forward, something happened. Sid Barrett's health began to decline. Or did it? We were told, as fans, that Barrett had issues with drugs, specifically acid and LSD. But did he really decline on a level that we were told? I don't believe so. Barrett left the band in oh, 19... Oh, shit. 19- are, you, are you reading some I'm conspiracy reading some, shit? <laughs> no, this is pretty interesting. Okay. Um, Barrett left the band in 1968 after being said to have been lost beyond return. According to Roger Waters, he was unable to play at live shows and could not record any new material. This is especially peculiar when listening to Barrett's later tracks. The very last song of his to be included on an album was Jug Band Blues. If you hadn't heard it, I recommend giving it a listen. I'm so tired. But does it sound like it was written by a man lost beyond repair, as he had been described? Absolutely not. The song was recorded in October of 1967, just a year and a half before Barrett's departure. 
from Pink Floyd in April of 1968. Oh, I don't care if the sun don't shine. That means that the rest of Floyd have been planning to remove him from the band for over a year, and he was completely cog- cognitively aware of it, as evident by the lyrics. Jug Band Blues is by far one of Barrett's most complex and interesting works, and to be written by a man who supposedly couldn't even play a single note during a live show? Was Sid Barrett really in the state he was described to be in? Why did, why did Gilmore help him with this solo? Gilmore joined the party in 1967, a year before Barrett's departure. Roger Waters takes credit for bringing David in as a replacement for Sid on a whim, as they had known each other in school. However, it was Sid's idea to bring David on board in the first place. Pink Floyd was a five-man band from December 1967 up until April 1968, when Sid Barrett was ever so rudely removed. Some, in fact most, argue that David Gilmore was one of, if not the best to have ever ha- best things to have ever happened to Pink Floyd, and I couldn't agree more. However, had it not yet again been for Sid, it probably would have never happened. Gilmore's unique guitar playing is something Pink Floyd is still ever so lucky to have acquired. And they have Sid to thank for that. Roger Waters likes to brag that when Sid was recording his solo albums, he would spend countless hours in the studio helping Sid record. However, it was David who spent countless hours helping Sid write and record, not Roger. Absolutely true. Some friend, huh? Over the years, there have been... What's Roger Waters going to do? I don't know. Nothing. To help Sid Barrett record his songs? Yeah. Except for steal his (laughs) occasional lonely streaks. But yeah, yeah, no, no, there's no (laughs) way. Over the years, um, there have been many stories from Roger about Sid, and they always, they always change. Stories that always remain the same, however, are those of Sid and the, are those of David and the rest of the band. If one takes out some time to listen and watch one of Roger Waters' interviews on Sid, and then go listen to another one, it becomes apparent that Roger loves changing details in his stories, or he practices recalling schema and elaborate rehearsal very well. Well, here we are. No more Sid and Pink Floyd. However, this didn't keep him from writing music. Most people think he gave up on music after Pink Floyd, but not many know about his two solo records or his touring with other I bands. Do. I do too. <laughs> Love them. I own them. <laughs> A good guess would be that Sid didn't really officially drop out of the music scene until the late 70s and early 80s. Many people also believe that Rogers knew direction for Floyd, along with David's new guitar playing that brought them to the progressive style of rock that they're known for to this day. However, Sid Barrett's music was beginning to adapt to progressive blues-style music before Floyd was done with their era of psychedelia, leading me to believe that they didn't just up and decide to change styles so rapidly on a whim. It was yet again Sid's influence that changed Floyd's style. Damn. Whoa, dude. (laughs) <laughs> While Floyd was that, that's this is this is some conspiracy stuff. A little, told, I mean, but it's great. It's common knowledge, I think, among Pink Floyd fans. Really, I'm a Pink Floyd fan. I never knew that. Really, no, I'm a Pink Floyd fan. I kind of knew it. You kind of think that Sid Barrett was the reason that a little bit they de- they, they went into the blues kind of and concept album yeah. phase of their While shit. While Floyd was still stuck in its psychedelia. With I have no problem with, by the way. No, no. Sid was already adapting and evolving into what would become Pink Floyd's trademark in the 1970s and 80s. Sid had already begun to record punk and progressive music, along with bluesy rock sound. Now, this is the author's quote. I personally believe that it was Sid that pushed Pink Floyd into what they are today. Without him, they'd be predominantly psychedelic band. A lot of what Sid was doing on his own was a... was prevalent in Floyd's music even after Sid had departed. Agreed. He had held the biggest influence over their music. There's even an album dedicated to him. You might have heard it. That's that's all for this one. Uh, Th- Sid and I think David Gilmore. I think David Gilmore had a lot of effect on that too. Cause, no, I, mean, I, think, a, I think... He's a guitarist. You know, it's, it's an opinion David Gilmore was respectful and helped the guy out and I think he was having a mental crisis and Sid, yeah, definitely. And needed but a, a lot of acid. Jesus Christ. He, look, at, look at what he was going through, and he still wanted to record. So Gilmore stepped in and 
yeah. was the mensch that he was and did drums and mixing and all the stuff. But like well, how I see Sid is like, I, I've met people like this, my ex um, singer and guitarist from uh, also Rest in Peace was like the same way. Like there's just so insanely talented that like that uh, like outside influences affect them. You know what I mean? Like everything affects them to where like, I don't know. It's just this level of of creative person. They get like like I don't even know how to describe it. Very addicted to drugs, and you know what I mean. Like there's a there's a certain type of person that that is that way. And I think Sid was just one of those people, who are like really really creative, really um, experimental in his creativity. And the rest of the band just wanted to to be a band, and he was off fucking. It, they they were probably feeling like because they were wanting to tour, make yeah. albums, make money. And he money. was like laying in his apartment stoned. <laughs> and they're like, well, we can't really do that. Yeah. That's what I think happened. But he was still like ultra creative and, and uh, probably the most No, he creative. was painting. He was painting in his. Ladies and gentlemen, I think this is probably going to be a two-parter so that we can get into the rest of the psychedelic 60s because <laughs> I think that... Um, well, what else do what else is there? There's there's lots. The English, the Nuggets, the Engl- the English the British invasion. We haven't we haven't gotten into it yet. So American psychedelic. There's a that's, those are like almost two different genres of psychedelic rock to me. There are so I, this might be a two or three parter. <laughs> Sorry guys, but we might have to come back to it after the Elliot because we got to do Elliot. Are we gonna split them up? We'll split them up. Nobody's listening anyway. Fuck it. Fuck it. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Good night, everybody. We're night. the Killer Music Podcast. Have a great night and be nice to each other. And don't eat too much LSD. 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 Too much LSD.